Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a Star Wars Legion podcast bringing you the latest news, general perspective, and competitive discussion. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike and David and Zach. Did you guys get your uh, Cad Bane and Padme's yet? Oh, you're really going to get me going early. Um, <laughs> yes, I did get my, my Cad Bane and, pa- and Padme models. Uh, I guess just a quick caveat. I painted Padme up. I could not get her face to look good. Uh, after about three hours and too many layers, I just took the head off and said, I'll uh, tackle this another day. Like legitimately uh, cut the head off the model. And I said, I'll figure this out later. <laughs> so- yeah, this guy flashes his headless Padme at us. So the, uh, today as we're getting ready to do the show i'm just gonna show up to the table with an ichabod padme and it's fine don't worry about it yeah sleepy hollow <laughs> how about you guys i mean you could take like a spare clone trooper helmet and you know put it on there or something you know i thought about doing that and maybe that's what the problem was i haven't painted a face in a while it's just been clone armor for the longest time or I had Cassian's face, which is like, you know, shielded by his awesome beard. So I can be like, I can paint faces, but I really can't. It's just his beard. Um, and yeah, this one, I struggled real hard. <laughs> I mean, if you bought like, like I, I bought two Sabines, like one to do with uh, with the gun and one to do with the Darksaber. You can just like put Sabine's head on there. I'm sure it'll probably, I don't know. I don't know if it would fit or not, but. That's a good question. I don't know, but I do have a, I do have an extra Sabine header too, actually, because I bought I did the same thing, and I painted her with the helmet, and then never painted her without the helmet. <laughs> so, I don't know how many times I say, "Yeah, I'm gonna buy two of these and only paint one." It happens way more than I should admit, but you know that's Legion for you. Yeah, I mean they both have nimble. They're basically the same unit, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's close enough. Um, We'll talk about Padme at some point, uh, probably when we do Gar 101, Republic 101. Um, yeah, it's, uh, man, it's hot. It finally rained in like the last hour here. but um, Really? It did not rain here. Uh, I'm only well, like 15 miles from here. There you go. Did you just hear that thunder just now? No. Oh, all right. I guess my mic isn't as sensitive as I thought. Um, yeah, it's uh, actually raining here right now. So yeah, super needed it. Kids going crazy in the house with 100 degree weather outside. Um, I have not got my Cad Bane yet. He's in the mail. Uh, I'm supposed to get here today. Thanks, Asmodee. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you'll have to go hatless for another few days. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, I'll join I'll join Krabic's list of um, petitioners to <laughs> get stuff on time. No, no, it's fine. It's um, I mean they only just officially released on Friday, so. Um. I've got so much other stuff in my backlog anyway. I'm not like Jensen to get Cad Bane together. I, I told myself that I had to finish all of my B1s before I did any more characters or tanks. So, um, Just people know I'm buying that expansion just for the hat. It is so good. I have it in my hands here. It is a great model, but the hat really is like the best. I kind of wish I bought now. Someone said this to me afterwards. Actually, I think it was uh, the person we're going to interview tonight, Josh. He said, why don't you buy a second CAD and put that hat on Padme and hide her face because you can't paint it anyways. And he wasn't wrong, but it's too late because I took it off the model. Someone on Facebook beat you to the punch. Someone actually put their posted their conversions with a CAD's hat on Padme, calling it CADME. Uh, I think um, <laughs> Panama Padme, the new uh, fashion line for Star Wars Legion models. 
<laughs> Panama Padme. There you go. <laughs> they should just have a Cad Bane hat expansion that has like six hats on a sprue in it. Right. I would definitely buy it. Yeah, I would 100% buy it and use it as like objective marker. There you go. I mean, you could use them as Bane tokens, right? Right. Exactly. Um, I, I'm surprised actually we haven't seen like Bane token Cad Bane hats yet. They're coming. I'm, I'm sure they are. Um, all right. So we do have, there was some actual like preview articles. So we'll talk about those in a little bit. Um, we're going to talk to Josh Devara, AKA Peregrine about turn zero. And then we're also going to talk about turn zero after that in our tactics section. But first let's hit some real quick housekeeping. We really need a housekeeping drop. The one drop that you remember to do is the drop that we don't actually have. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I didn't even write it into the thing. All of the drops have parentheses around them. Kyle. I know. In my brain, I just hear um, uh, like Chris Farley just being like housekeeping, you know, from uh, okay. from Tommy Boy. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's I got that movie reference right, right? You know what? Tell you what. We'll record a drop. I'm actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut what you just did and gonna, <laughs> I'm going to upload it as the drop for housekeeping. Oh, oh, yeah. I like this plan. My impression of Chris Farley saying housekeeping. All right. Also, yeah, nobody born after the year 1990 knows that reference anyway. So Okay. Um, I, I got to do the full line. We'll, we'll figure out how to do the full line. I don't have it in front of me. All right. No, I'm, I'm going to make this work. It's going to be great. All right. Perfect. Anyway, housekeeping. Uh, Gen Con. So a couple things. The FFG and flight report is on Thursday. We're going to do some kind of thing related to that, some kind of video also. Um, more details on that forthcoming. Uh, so check that out. We have the Legion tournament on the interwebs on the TTS um, that weekend. Lists are due on the 28th of July. Um so keep that in mind. It's probably going to be TTO. More details on that soonish by Friday, right, David? Yes, by Friday we'll have some more information regarding uh, being being registered in the system that we're using for the event itself. Other, you know, when I say that I mean the tournament software. If you have a ticket right now, you're in the event. Okay, so be not confused or or afraid. Um, if you have a ticket, you're in the event. Um, I know there was some confusion about that and about what the other stuff we were using would be. There will be a message coming uh, in your Gen Con uh, with your in your Gen Con account through their messenger system with both a link to the tournament software that we'll be using and the link to the Discord server that we will be using for the event itself. Um, so just please do keep your eyes peeled in your Gen Con system messages for that. It is on the way. And if you have a ticket, don't worry. We know you bought one and you're in the event. Okay. So just hold on. <laughs> Information's on the way. Yep. And uh, we're going to have streams also throughout the weekend. Um your guys' streams, Dashes and Yavin Base, and also the Fifth Trooper YouTube. And uh, we're going to have lots of prize support, not just for the event itself, um, but uh, also um, just for watching the streams. 
including some great prizes from Army Painter. Uh, they're one of the primary sponsors of our of our stream, and that sponsorship goes 100% towards prizes for people that are watching and also for uh, those participating in the event. So even if you're not participating, you can get free stuff just for watching the stream. So check those out. We'll, I'm sure we'll plug that with more details next week. Did I miss anything on Gen Con? No, I think we're I think we're caught up. All right, let's hit the news. Welcome to In the News. See, that's a real drop. Yeah. <laughs> and what's what's even funnier is we already discussed what I wrote down for In the News on the opener, <laughs> which is well, actual sort of. stuff that came out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and other stuff, but yeah, but just funny. Well, I know Mike was sick of me asking how you guys were doing, so I let in with the Cad Bane and Padme. No, now he's he's started this new nervous thing where he just speeds through the opening as fast as possible so you can't actually hear what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's a new thing every week. I don't know. Uh, well, anyway, Cad Bane and Padme were released on Friday. So that's exciting. I've seen plenty of painted pictures already. Both of these peoples, individuals. Duros are Duros peoples. That's the... Anyway. It's like um, a speed run. <laughs> Yeah. People don't take their time. They just like, oh, here it is. Oh, Facebook. <laughs> I mean, I, I genuinely don't understand how people paint their stuff so quickly. Me too. Like, like I've got stuff from two years ago that I've been like meaning to paint. Like, I just finished my Scout Trooper Strike Teams today. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm always amazed. Um, I mean, some of these, these aren't all speed jobs either. Like I've seen some no. incredible pictures of, of both of them uh, just painted like exquisitely that people were posting on like Friday. And I'm, I'm sure that not all these people got random early like Europe orders or something like that. Yeah, it's super impressive how fast some people can do it. Some real dedication and some real skill, frankly. <laughs> Makes yeah. me sad yeah. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Anyway, my, my Cad Bane's going to sit on my shelf for... At least a few days, if not a few weeks, until I get these B1s done. Uh, but I'm excited. It's, um, you know, I'm sure some people can play Real Legion right now uh, if they're playing in their houses and stuff. But, um, you know, Godspeed to those people. Have fun with, uh, have fun with the new minis. Um, and it looks like, at the moment, things are on track for ARCs and BXs in August. August 28th, is that the official date? Yeah, I think so, which ironically is the day that lists are due for, uh, I mean, no, I'm, I'm pulling a goof here. No, no. <laughs> I, I, I got dad brain today. Um, I don't know why I keep on thinking August 28th. But anyways, uh, yeah, August 28th, which is why I'm sitting here and I'm thinking of the Palpatine meme, uh, ironic. And I'm sitting here thinking about Mike, how it's ironic that he just finishes Scout Troopers just in time for him to go buy ARC Troopers. So. <laughs> well, and I'm going to have to, too, right, at this point. <laughs> Yeah, you pre-ordered three, I assume. Uh, I I have had bad experiences pre-ordering for Legion, so I don't do that. Um, oh, okay. Because I have uh, put in multiple pre-orders of multiple places and got stuff like two months after they actually ac- like actually released, and where I could have just like ordered them the day they released and got them sooner. So I have stopped pre-ordering. Things. What's that? That was cool stuff, right? 
It was it was a couple different places, but okay. that was one of them. Yeah, I, I've I've done a uh, local store. I've done Asmodee, and I've done um, miniature market, and I've never had any problems with any of those three, as far as brewers are concerned. So. Yeah, I um, I think I'm I'm I've still got to buy, buy like vital assets and stuff, but it to me right now buying models is not like a super high priority because I haven't played a real game and. Yeah, oh, wow. I, yeah, it's 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 so that you can get them. I mean, my goal is to have everything like fully painted. Um, the next time I play a real game, so that's why I'm that's why I'm still getting everything when it comes out because it takes me forever to get that done. But yeah, that that next real life tournament thing, whenever that happens, that's gonna sneak up on you, and then you're gonna be like, oh no, I didn't paint these things. I thought I would have more time. Then you just be right back to where you started. Oh, my Vader list will be ready. Uh, it's like 80% done. I just have to paint the Shore Troopers. This fully based and detailed Vader army. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's impressive. It's going to be great. Yeah, I'm, I mean, my Rebels are basically done, uh, except for the, the new characters, Cassian and K2. Um, so that won't be super hard if I have to, like, if I need an emergency army situation for the next tournament. But uh, yeah, I'm in trouble if if I want to play droids at, at the next thing at the moment. <laughs> um, speaking of ARC Troopers, we've got an article for ARC Troopers, including yep. a full preview. So there's lots of juicy tidbits in this preview. Um, gone sort of unnoticed is the fact that um, the unit card was actually previewed in high def. Uh, I think the previous one was pulled from like the um, maybe the Asmodee spread on their store website. I think it might have uh, been when they were showing the models off on one of their streams. But uh, I could be maybe, wrong. It was it's it was fuzzy. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I'm pretty confident the original images came from Asmodee tossing them up on the site, and they shouldn't have. Oh yeah, yeah, you're you're right. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if they should or shouldn't have, but that's where they came from. Well, they imme- let me put it this way. The images went up, and then they immediately came down. So. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Oopsies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it turns out uh, the interpretations of those fuzzy values and stuff was correct. Um, but uh, in addition to the stuff we basically knew about already, which was you know the, the stats for the unit cards and then the, the DC-15X sniper rifle, there's also two special characters, Fives and Echo. Mike, since you're a resident um, degenerate Republic player, do you want to? Uh... Whoa! <laughs> I thought we, agree- we all agreed that we all weren't right. gonna talk like that. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just Freudian Freudian slip. Yeah, um, I'm gonna start calling you David. Droidian. Uh... <laughs> so, Mike, what do you have to say tonight? Um, uh, so, ask clones. <laughs> <laughs> We should probably put all that. We can leave it in here. But go I, <laughs> you know, I think it's it's no secret. Clones are really good right now. But let's talk about these sweet new cards that are awesome. So, Echo and Fives. I would like to just point out from a fundamental perspective that these are, I think, the first like upgrade that we've had that is like a heavy weapon that can go in multiple units um 
I may be getting that wrong, but I don't think so. Well, we previewed Dell and Gideon from way back. That, that's but that's they true. are going to be physically out before Dell and Gideon. So, sure. so half true, half untrue. How's that? Yeah. So these uh, upgrades can go in basically any arc strike team, any full arc squad, any phase two unit, or any phase one unit. So they're pretty versatile in like where you can put them. Um, basically, Echo is just like a super souped up DLT unit that has reliable and all the DLT keywords. Um, and he's got a better DLT because it's two red dice instead of a red and a black. Uh, DC 15. Right. Ah, DC 15. You're yeah. right. DLT. All, all these letters and numbers, they're so I know. similar. You know? All, all, the, all the Star Wars weapon names are just like a bunch of, it's just alphanumeric suit, basically. Yeah. And then we'll just toss and, an X on at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is fun. Um, I actually think of the two, Fives is more interesting. Um, he's got the coordinate clone trooper keyword on him. Um, which allows you to do some like really cool stuff with like take that clankers, right? So if you you could hand out a third face up order token on your take that clankers turn, which I think is probably going to be the main reason to take fives. Um, so uh, both of these guys have leaders and two wounds, and they're your heavy weapon. So in addition to being like just really good value generally, they make it so that your heavy weapon dies last. And has an additional wound stable to it, um, which is awesome. So I think both of these cards are excellent. I think they will both see a lot of play. So if so, if you're taking these guys, uh, are you taking them in arcs? Are you taking them in phase ones or phase twos? What's your what's your preferences there? Um, I think they, they're better in core units than they are in the actual arc squads. Um, you know, the, the, the DC 15 X, um, really because how, of how clones kind of work with like aim sharing and stuff like the red die instead of the black die on echo is not that big a deal. Um, and being able to like load a fourth sniper into like a phase two squad, I think is a pretty big deal. Um, and similarly, I think, uh, fives, um, you, you kind of want Pierce in your arc squads, so I think f- slotting like fives into like a phase two squad with offensive push is pretty good. Um, so uh, it's it's notable that when you load fives into either squad, they become courage three, um, which is <clears throat> more than Rex. Uh, so if for whatever reason Rex dies, fives can kind of take over and make your armory even more immune to panicking. Yeah, that's neat. And if you make him the hostage unit and hostage that he'd be courage for. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's just Palpatine. <laughs> you know what's funny yeah. is I typed that out the other day, but hearing you actually say it just like, made it even more like real and it's just kind of crazy to think about. <laughs> um, you know, competitiveness aside, I think my favorite part about this is that it opens such a great design space for the game. Um. But you know, you know, having these lesser known characters that you can kind of throw across your army was, you know, pretty cool. This, this, yeah. I mean, this seems like an evolution of essentially what was explored with Pathfinders and Death Troopers with um, 
you know, Pow and Biston and DTF16, basically, who are all like sort of unique mini characters. But they're kind of taking it up a notch here with, you know, we don't we don't know exactly how this two health thing works, um, like rules wise, but, uh, you know, they're more durable. And then also, it seems like these are just more competitive choices than at least like Pow and Biston and DTF16 all were when, when those units initially rolled out. So I think we'll be seeing a lot of Echo and Fives, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, my my assumption is that if you wound them first, you'll probably have to put another wound on them. So I don't think you can game it or you can just like store a wound on them forever. But, you know, again, we don't know. Well, the the thing about that is they become the leader. Oh, so that's right. You, so even actually if have to they die, yeah. Yeah, even, even if they were to like somehow like you're able to shoot them, like because they're the only model you can see, they would just replace something else once they die. Right. So right. Uh, because they become the unit leader. So the, these guys are just like really good. Like you have to kill the whole unit to kill the, the guy with Pierce, you know, um, or lethal rather. Um, or you have to kill the whole unit to kill to kill the guy with coordinate. I, I do think the design space here is awesome. You know, there's a lot of named clones. Like I would love to have a clone army that I could take that like is each led by like a you know, a named ARC trooper from like the 501st or whatever. I think that that would be super insanely cool. Um, you know, so this, this gives me some, some hope that we can, we can do that kind of like a, you know, band of brothers, you know, uh, I don't know. It, it reminds me of my space wolves from 40 K mm-hmm. where like I named them all and they all were like, you know, this is the Yarl. This is the, this is the guy in, in this squad that, all the sergeants were like named because that's what you do when you play space wolves, you know, glory matters. And, and I feel like this kind of really uh, plays into something like that. I'm holding up hope for some kind of name to be extroid, but I don't, I don't think that's a thing. Having watched the entire Clone <laughs> Wars show, I can't think of any. My name is yeah. Roger and his name is also Roger. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Roger, Roger. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, you're probably playing the wrong faction if that's what you're. Yeah, yeah, for. no, I mean that's not why you play droids, right? That's <laughs> the droids are not the heroes in the Clone Wars show. I don't know. It depends on who you ask, but sure. <laughs> yeah, generally speaking. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so yeah, super exciting. Uh, I guess this means at some point we'll getting we'll be getting a BX preview article also, shortly, and uh, we I, don't know. I would think. You know, there's there's a lot we don't know about them too. Still, despite the fact that they're being played around with, um, so uh, yeah. Any any other thoughts on these two? Hopefully, I can paint their faces so I don't rip them off the model. But I guess if I'm buying three boxes, I have three options, right? And they're clone faces, so if I mess up those, I can just continually, you know, pop them back on. I mean, the good news is I'm sure that they come with helmets because they're clones. Yeah. <laughs> but they're distinctive. I think I might have to. I did all my clones with helmets, but I think Fives and Echo might go helmetless. We'll see. Yeah, don't they have facial tattoos? Fives does, I think. Fives does, yeah. 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 That makes them um, plenty distinct. I just like the idea of a clone trooper walking into battle without a helmet on seems yeah. really silly to me. Like, don't get me wrong. I get the aesthetic. It looks kind of cool. 
don't I'm not gonna like judge you for modeling your stuff like that, but like you have battle armor on, of course you're gonna wear you in in like I'm sure in these like clone trooper and stormtrooper helmets, there's like a heads up display that provides you with tactical information, and you know like the the, the helmet is an important part of the ensemble for a variety of reasons. Mainly, it keeps you alive, but you know. Well, and this is like a miniature gaming staple, right? The stereotype of the space marine captain running around without his helmet on. Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> does he even have like a comms unit in there that he can talk to his battle brothers with and give out commands and stuff? I mean, it's probably in like the neck or like in some other part of the suit. But yeah, I mean, but you know, like you risk getting shot in the face. Yeah, <laughs> you've got an yeah, entire right. suit of power armor, and then your head is just totally out there. I mean, I think it's at least as forgivable as fictional characters who only own one outfit, so you know who they are the instant you see them. Yeah. It's just, you know, that's at least like, as forgivable. Space Marine Terminator with his face hanging out there. Just, yeah. I mean, maybe he's got a force field around just his face or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. My, my guys will have helmets because I hate painting faces. So. Well, now after these jokes, I feel like I have to kind of model him with a hollow, like a hollow screen. And that's how he's coordinating to the other clones. He's not saying it through the helmet, but he's taking the time on the battlefield to bring up the hollow puck and be like, guys, I'm sending you an order. I mean, it is only range one. He could just be yelling at them. Listen, Kyle, I don't want your logic. That's literally, well, I guess that's what Echo does in the show, right? Like he's the one that repeats all the orders. Yeah. <laughs> Feels like a wasted opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to get anyway. let's give him coordinate too. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, all right. Well, anyway. let's, just, let's just jam a fifth keyword on there. Why not? Yeah. Why I think not? there's already five keywords on there. Okay, sorry. Excuse me, six keywords. <laughs> yeah, there are. Right, reliable, critical, lethal, immune deflect, leader. Yeah, that's five. Yeah, yeah that's five. Yeah. Just in case you wanted some more keyword with your keywords. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to this 40 Legion. points. How about we move on to this Legion 101 tactics section? Get ready for advanced tactics. So we're going to do this tactics section in two sections subsections uh first we're going to talk to josh devara from the legion discord about his turn zero idea which is um he'll, he'll tell you what it is on the discord and then we're going to use that as a stepping off point to do our own little turn zero discussion uh so let's jump right into our interview with josh and we're back with peregrine from the discord also known as joshua dever which you know might be his real name or not. Um, so, Josh, uh, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> Thanks, Zach. Uh, I'm doing great. And uh, if I might say something, um, I just want to say thanks. I, I've, I've heard people come on, and you guys do a lot for this community. And I really just want to say thank you to everyone in the Scoundrels, everyone in the, the Fifth Trooper. Um, I wouldn't be playing this game today the way I am or even playing it at all if there wasn't uh, content creators like y'all out there uh so uh thanks for having me on it really is an honor to be here and uh thanks from the community 
Oh, wow. We appreciate that. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, actually, this is a double dip for you. You uh, joined me on the blog last week, and here you are on the podcast. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your local scene, and what are the games you played? I know you played X-Wing in the past, and then you kind of made the jump over to Legion. Yeah, so I uh, originally played X-Wing, uh, kind of dipped my toes into 1.0, and then I uh, spent a lot of time playing Destiny. And uh, yeah, we all know how that panned out. Uh, but when Legion came out, I actually, I, I purchased a core set and dabbled in the painting and was really afraid of the painting. But uh, probably around the time my first daughter was born, I really jumped in and started playing. Uh, I play in the Houston area, a lot of good players uh, who I run into tournaments from time to time uh, that have stomped me uh, up and down. But my, my local scene is actually pretty casual. Uh, it's mostly just experimental type lists. No one likes to bring any of the super competitive, um, the super competitive lists. So uh, I didn't really jump into the more competitive play, actually, until probably you and uh, Mike Cirillo probably became my friends um, after we started talking through the Legion Discord. Uh, which is how I was introduced to y'all through a mutual friend, uh, Ed Martinez. Uh, that's really when my competitive career started to take off. And due to kids, due to work life, uh, it's hard to continue to play those casual games, which is nice that we have this uh, community that we can all join in through the Discord server. And that's where I actually get most of my games in, unfortunately. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we, we've played quite a bit of games recently, and it's a lot of fun that our schedules work out because of the kids. Uh, we know how that goes. And speaking of the Discord, that's actually the main reason we brought you on today is because you started a new channel this week. Uh, for those that are on the Discord, you probably have seen it. And for those who aren't on the Discord, uh, you should join it and come look at it because it's great. Uh, what is it? Like workshop, we'll call it. And you named it Turn Zero. So what is Turn Zero and how did you come up with it? Yeah, so uh, this kind of goes back to, I've only played in one, I guess you would say, uh, competitive tournament. It was a um, prime championship back in December, uh, and I went two and one. Uh, my only loss was to the eventual winner of the tournament, uh, Daniel Lupo, uh, pretty good local player. I'm sure you guys, everyone knows who Lupo is, yep. uh, and after the match, I remember one thing specifically, and it's all I could keep my mind on was the fact that I had thrown probably about, I would say, 20 to 25 dice at Sabine, and she just she just didn't die. And so after I lost, I just, you know, chalked it off to, oh, that was just bad variance. It was poor dice luck, uh, and that's why I lost. Um, and after thinking about it for a long period of time, and this was, uh, to be honest, actually, uh, I, I dwelled on it for, for a couple of weeks. Uh, and I started to think, you know, maybe it wasn't the dice. Maybe I made some poor decisions. Uh, and I think a lot of times when we look at how the result of our game, we could say, oh, it was down to the last roll. Or, oh, it was down to, uh, I made this one decision. Uh, or they had better dice. Uh, turns out I was playing against Tauntauns and Sabine, and I was blue player, and I chose Battle Lines uh, yeah, over Long March. I was playing in ATST with Veers and Shores. And it seems kind of silly. Why did I choose Long March over Battle Lines? And in reality, the reason why I think I lost that match, if 
not taking away from Daniel Skill. He's a great player. Uh, it The setup was terrible, and I was going to lose from the beginning no matter what. And um, so I started to really put my mind into, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of like if, if anyone's familiar with chaos theory, I don't want to get too deep into it, uh, but tiny variances uh, in the beginning, the initial variables, uh, change the entire outcourse of the entire match. And that's what turn zero is. Turn zero is all of the decisions we make um, before we start turn one. That includes your list. That includes uh, the battle deck, the choices you make in deployment, the choices you make on the side of the table you're on, and uh, which cards you eliminate during the uh, objective selection process. And that's why I think your workshop on the Discord uh, is actually really important. And Kyle made a joke the other day. He's like, oh, why didn't we think of this? Because it's a great idea. And the point that I'm trying to get at is that Turn Zero has so many little intricacies to them. It's kind of hard to kind of like to write it down or compartmentalize it. And you kind of found a way to do that through the channel by discussing what you think Red Player and Blue Player would do. And not to say that sometimes the Discord can get stale with conversation, but sometimes it can be a circle that we go around, right? And this is kind of like a breath of fresh air because it's something new, but it's also super useful to trying to learn the game in a different manner. And I think that some of the discussion last week was the first run of it. I thought it was like really, really good. And it's funny to see like a lot of different people's perspectives. Uh, I know that I had a lot of different perspectives than Kyle and and Mike here on the podcast, like they were thinking, uh, I think, what was it? Supply drop. I think Kyle likes supply drop for droids, let's say, right? Or, or then like Mike didn't like supply drop. Just these are all examples for the droids uh, in last week's workshop. And it's just fun to see all the different thought processes people have. Yeah. So what the, what turn zero is, um, and uh, I actually came up with this after listening to y'all's podcast Last week, uh, Kyle was talking about uh, recording his, um, I, I believe it was you, Kyle, record, taking notes. Yeah. Yeah, so taking notes to help you learn uh, learn your list better, learn kind of the small intricacies. And so actually, I was, I was mowing my lawn that morning, just trying to, uh, just dwelling upon that. Uh, and I decided that, uh, you know, if there was a way that I could pick everyone's brain in turn zero, because I don't think there's always a right choice, but I do think that there are certain play styles uh, that need to approach turn zero differently. There are certain lists that need to approach turn zero differently. Uh, and so when I created the channel, it was more of a purpose for me to pick everyone else's brain to help uh, to help me get a better understanding and broaden my knowledge on the game. So what Turn Zero is, uh, there are two channels on the Discord, uh, and it is the Legion Discord. I, I think you guys have a link through Legion HQ uh, to find the Discord. There's not a good uh, web address to find it, but I think you can find it through the Legion HQ. Yeah, you totally can. Perfect. Uh, and what it is, is I will uh, have one person make a list, and then another person make a list. Uh, this past week, the two people making lists were Mike Cirillo uh, with Fifth Trooper and then uh, Richard O'Brien, also known as Kodak, with the Legion University. 
And I display those lists and I choose a map from Tabletop Simulator. Uh, and I'll give you three views on it. One that's an overhead view with a six by six uh, blocked grid. So each of the, the grid covers the whole map and it's all by six inches, which is range one. Uh, and then I will give you a uh, about a 45 degree shot from the corner where blue major offensive would be and then from red major offensive. And I'll post that in our images channel. And from there, the players have to decide uh, as blue player, whoever wins uh, blue uh, or has the lower bid, what to do. Do they keep blue? Do they um, pass it to the, uh, to the other player? Uh, and then they have to choose their map side. Once we kind of get a general idea of what the community, uh, this is very community driven because I don't really believe there's a right or a wrong answer in a lot of these scenarios. Sometimes there is. Um, but once the community comes to kind of a consensus, then we move on to the next action, which I'll throw up the battle cards. And once the battle cards go up, uh, then everyone decides what blue player does first. Um, and this is where I think we spend most of our time. Uh, so once those battle cards come up, uh, we don't know what's going to be up there. Uh, and so there's a lot of debate. And what surprised me the most was even some of the uh, the best players who I would consider the best players in this game had major disagreements. I think the biggest disagreement for our last one uh, was between um, Luke, Zach, and uh, Kyle. Uh, no, and Mike. It was sorry, not you, Zach. It was Mike, Kyle, and Luke, and was about to do what to do for the deployment. Uh, Mike, I think you thought key positions was fine uh, for the objective, but I think Luke and Kyle didn't agree with that. And I consider you guys way better players than me. And I just found it interesting that we're able to uh, pick y'all's brains and see that you know there's many different ways to approach this. And uh, it seemed like the more defensive players chose um, one path and the more offensive-minded players chose a different path. Yeah, um, I, I actually, I really enjoyed that exercise. I thought the Discord was really good. Um, and it really shows you how even among like uh, different veteran players, you get very different viewpoints about what the correct course of action is. Um, and I think you're right that our play styles kind of bore out in that discussion. Um, like I was, um, you know, advocating basically for just, I think VAPS was in the third slot and I think I had advocated for just not overthinking it and pushing for VAPS, um, you know, cause I'm a very defensive player and that's my play style. Uh, and Mike was basically advocating, I think for you, the deployments were more important, Mike, in that last exercise. Yeah. I mean, I sort of felt like, um, one of the lists included, um, R2, I believe. Yep. Um, and and I I feel like controlling the lanes in which R two can make his way to the objective zone is a really big deal. More so a lot of times than the objective you pick. Like you don't want specifically if you're red player. Um, I think in this in this circumstance, blue player had R two and red player did not. Um, you know, I, the the objective almost doesn't matter. Uh, the objectives were pretty vanilla, if I recall correctly. It was like, it might have been like KP intercept and sabotage or something like that. Um, 
and so like a lot of those end on ties or r2 is super, like r2 is super good on on kp he's super good on intercept he's super good on sabotage um and i felt like you know you could be playing any of those objectives and r2 just matters a lot more than the actual objective you're playing yeah so one of the interesting things that i think comes into it is personal experience too um i think i advocated for passing initially and that's because even though uh, i often play blue and i have uh, vaps in almost every single one of my uh my decks i, I i'm terrible at it i just never play vaps well uh, because i think about them too late um and so it was interesting to see how other people approach that particular objective where um, I think I was more in line with you, Mike, that I didn't want, uh, I didn't want R2 scoring. So I would have gone for uh, a better deployment, which in this case, I, I think it was Danger Close, um, was the deployment that I wanted. Yeah, and I, and I think you bring up a really good point about there not being like a hard and fast right or wrong answer. I think, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast about, you know, what the right thing to do is in a lot of situations. And what we don't talk about a ton um, is personal play styles and what, like once people are good at the game, what they're good at, you know, um, you know, Kyle, David and Zach and I all have like very different, ways that we play this game and, and josh i'm sure you do too like you know if you were to compare me and kyle like i'm very aggressive and kyle is very defensive our, our strategies are almost counter intuitive um and so you know he he likes sabotage you know and i'm like okay sabotage let's go i'm gonna play as red player and kill your units like i'm i'm excited for this you know um and I don't know. I, I, I think that knowing how you play the game specifically um, and, and this turn zero kind of experiment that we went through last week really illuminated that for me is like, I, I play the this game very differently than other people and that's okay. And I think it actually in some circumstances works better for me. It certainly works better for those other people um, when, when they're doing their thing. I think a lot of it comes down to play style. Yeah, that takes me down memory lane uh, with your unpainted boss getting Kyle back for taking blue vaps at uh, Huzzah Games, which feels like 35 million years ago. But I remember, I remember. Um, but yeah, it definitely shows different play styles. Um, it's funny, I've played Josh. I played you probably almost like 10 times by now. I actually don't even know what I would call your play style. Um, I think you're like a good mix between aggressive and defensive. But I think it's winning. Yeah, yeah, it's winning. Uh, that's the dashes way, right? As as I see him laughing and cackling on mute, he's, he he got a good kick out of that one. Um, but yeah, your 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 play style changes from game to game. It depends on the list you bring. Um, I would say that in this exercise, you went more aggressive and thought danger close, etc. And but that's good to have that variation in your game too. Like you don't have to always be aggressive or be defensive. And it, again, it just your play style can vary. Um, so what do you, what is your, you know, what is the future of turn zero and, and do you see it just staying the way it is? Do you have any ideas of where it can go? What, what are your plans for turn zero? 
Well, uh, so ultimately my goal with it is to kind of help the community uh, improve your play style. Uh, or not play style, improve your game. I, I think too often things are just kind of, oh, uh, well, that was a better list, or that was a bad matchup, or the dice were poor. Uh, but the my ultimate goal is to help everyone think through turn zero uh, in a different way and to be able to reflect on it to improve their competitive play, if that's what they're wanting. Uh, but there's been a few ideas that have been kicked around. I think the first thing that I'm going to do from here is kind of just write some sum me up articles, uh, just put kind of the major thought processes between behind each action that the community chose uh, and put it onto paper. Uh, as, as fun it is, as fun as it is to read through everything as it's happening, it's not really fun to go back from the beginning and try to figure out everything because it's just a lot of messaging. Uh, and I think even though Discord is fairly easy to use, unlike some other uh, podcasts that rhyme with um, uh, Stab Blast, uh, I think Dis Discord is impossible to use. Uh, it it's, it's a lot of information. So the first thing I'm going to do is probably put it on paper uh, for, for people to read. So you heard it here first. This is a psych test more than anything. <laughs> um, yeah. The the next thing that I'm probably going to do, uh, and this is funny, a lot of people want to see the matches played out. And I don't ever think that I will go that route um, because I think it eliminates a lot of people's thought process, thought process or what they put into it. For example, if let's say red player wins and someone else's decision went into uh, or wasn't chosen, they're going to think that, well, it's because they didn't choose my answer. But if we play it out, there's a lot of other variables that go into a game. Maybe it was the, the dice. Maybe it was the level, of, uh, uh, the level of players that were playing the list. So I don't really want to go the route of um, seeing how uh, putting it into practice or putting it into play. Uh, the purpose is, is to kind of see everyone's opinions. What I would like to see eventually is kind of a roundtable discussion, kind of like, a, uh, for those of you that watch ESPN, kind of like around the horn. Uh, where, uh, and this is actually something that uh, Mike Cirillo and I talked about uh, quite frequently, but we were never able to put it uh, into action, was kind of have four heads on the, heads on the screen will throw up uh, the battle cards and then everyone discusses uh, what they think uh, should happen and you get points for whoever makes the better discussion or um, you lose points if you're not making a very good discussion type of thing. Uh, and just, you know, to make fun, uh, to, to have fun with it uh, and also to help the, the community. Um, again, because I don't think there is really a right answer. I think uh, the way that this has gone, it's who's made the better argument, and that's how I've pushed uh, everyone's action along. Well, I'll say this. If you if you do the around the horn thing, if you don't pull a Tony Reale and try and throw a paper ball into the trash can afterwards, it's null and void. So I'm just letting you know. <laughs> All right. Make sure I have a trash can standing by. Uh, um, there was one request, and I hope that Tim Hannon is listening to this because this request was from Josh. He said, if I come on this podcast, can I trash talk the Stabcast? Um, I said, absolutely. That is 100% a thing you can do. So speaking of the Stabcast, uh, what do you have to say to them? 
Um, so we actually are offering a class. Uh, see, what does this come out Tuesday? So uh, the general public will have missed it, but I made an announcement directly to the Stabcast individuals. Uh, I, I realize that the age of the internet is here, and it can be scary, uh, and it it's, is can be very overwhelming getting onto Discord. But I just want you to know we're here for you. Um, I am an admin on the Legion Discord. Uh, at any time, you can message me, and I can show you how to navigate each channel. I can show you how to scroll up on your mouse to read the messages. I can show you how to answer um, when you've been tagged or quoted and how to find those. Uh, and we're here for you. We're here to help build this community. And if you have trouble with Discord, um, uh, I can show you how to use it. Sorry to catch my breath there is uh, laughing pretty hard. Uh, so you heard it here first. Uh, Peregrine, Josh Devra, is not only going to help you learn about Turn Zero, he's going to hold your hand uh, learning the Discord. Tim Hannon, uh, Ben Fowler, uh, let's see, William Heim, I'm trying to remember everyone's name, Ryan Slowowski, I probably just butchered it. Uh, the only one that doesn't need to learn is Brett Renko. He is the enemy of their podcast, but he's our friend. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Uh, but Josh, I just want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank you for talking about Turn Zero, and uh, I look forward to seeing where it takes us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on, and hope to see all of you guys uh, on the Discord soon. Yeah, man, thanks for coming on. So that was Josh Devara, a.k.a. Peregrine from the Legion Discord. Um, I got to say, as soon as I saw that he had like set that thing up on that Discord, I thought that was a fabulous idea. Yeah, I mean, I uh, it, it kind of crystallizes like the stuff that we talk about, like behind the scenes all the time. You know, um, I feel like we talk a lot about like tactics and strategy kind of just in our daily discussions and like what's good and what's bad and how we made a mistake and how we didn't make a mistake. And I think it really kind of like puts like pen to paper as to some of the things that we, we talk about on a general, on a daily basis. Yeah. And turn zero is such an important part of the game. You know, it, it literally like sets the stage for the entire game and really like small nuances in turn zero and advantages for you versus advantages for your opponent can really like become magnified over the course of the game in those, in those very like nuanced and specific turn zero decisions. Yeah. I mean, not to get like super hyperbolic, but I do think that there is a non zero um, amount of games that like you actually don't need to play after turn zero. Like, Turn zero just decides the game, and and you don't need to play it. Um, I mean, like clearly you're going to because you're in a competitive environment and you're there to play Legion and, and you're doing those things. But like some games, if you don't know what you're doing, can just be decided at the outset because you got a bad deal or dealt with turn zero poorly. Yeah, and I think that was more true back in like the old days of um, key positions. You know, the, the OG version of key positions um, where blue player got to pick two of the objectives. <laughs> uh, but, um, I mean, I think that can still be true. I think more generally now, it's it's that, you know, we talk a lot about the concept of beatdown versus control player. 
And like what I think of when I when I think of those terms is that the control player is the one for whom the status quo is okay. Like if if you know there's no interventions by other player and both both players do basically more or less what's expected, they're the ones that are gonna win. And then the beatdown is is the one that has to change that status quo. I feel like turn zero usually establishes who the control player is and who the beatdown player is. Yeah, totally. And and I think that the biggest thing coming out of turn zero is whether or not you recognize which one of those things you are. Um, because if, if you go through turn zero and you're like, oh, I'm the control player, but turn zero really meant that you're the beatdown player and you don't properly like see that decision point and make the correct decision. Like the game just goes very poorly for you. For instance, like a very easy example is um, your blue player, you ban to sabotage the moisture evaporators and then you attack your opponent aggressively, right? Like that's not your role in that game. Your role is to sit back and let them come to you so that you don't have to move shoot. You're aim shooting while they are moving and shooting. And um, and just like situations like that, if you don't recognize which one of those things you are, it can be crippling. Yeah, and that's an interesting example. I think for the most part, um, like there are some lists that still want to go into attack mode even on Sabotage. Uh, like Tauntauns, or if you're running something weird like Flame RTs, you know, um, like there are some lists that just don't play that well defensively. But I think you're also yeah. probably not taking Sabotage if you if you run a list like that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is like if if you want to be playing aggressively into Sabotage the Moisture Evaporators, it's probably not in your battle deck, right? Right. Or it's, or rather, it shouldn't be in your battle deck. Correct. Like if 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 you're a blue player, I mean, if you have to build a battle deck, right? Um, and if you're putting sabotage in there, that means in theory, you should have a list that's designed to play sabotage defensively. In in theory. Yeah. I I was going to say, I, I half, I half agree with that now. I mean, we, we did talk a few shows ago about how, how red is starting to become more, um, adept at playing sabotage by immediately going into attack mode and trying to eliminate a unit. And just sort of flip the script on the blue player, but um, I mean you can you can actually include that as part of your strategy, even as blue, you know, and just say, well, I have a plan to attack that third evaporator, you know, if needs must, because it is getting harder and harder to guarantee the safety of all your units, generally speaking. Yeah, I mean silhouettes are a big part of that, um, and I think that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, like, if you like to, and that's the other thing, and, and, you know, we talked about that a little bit with Josh, you know, in, like, personal play styles, right? Like, if you just like playing aggressively on Sabotage the Moisture Evaporators, and that's, like, a thing that you enjoy and that you're good at, like, go for it, right? Right. Um, but I think conventional wisdom is certainly, if if you're taking Sabotage, you want to be blue player, you want to be kind of controlling, right? Right, the the incentive is then on your opponent to attack into you, which is generally favorable. So that's that's like the foundational wisdom behind this, right? That that we're going into it with. Well, I would I would say, based you know, think about turn zero and talking about VAPs. The biggest advice that I can give to you in this exact situation, right? If you 
you know, aren't sure if you can play aggressive or defensive, right? The biggest advice I can give you is learn where to place your VAPs in a position that works best for your list or how you play the game. Like, I think placing VAPs is one of the most important skills. I'll put that in quotations. One of the, like, it is so important to know where to put your VAPs in every time you play a Sabs game. Like, if you put a VAP in a vulnerable spot, but you don't see it on turn zero, and the next thing you know, you're double moving or you're moving to your VAP to tap it, and you realize you've exposed the unit to your opponent, and it was strictly based on because of bad VAP placement, it can, like, really fall apart quickly. And that's why like learning where to place those VAPs is so important to playing your game. Exactly. And I just want to say like also, is as blue player, you have the burden of making the first drop. So you have to put that first drop in a place that's going to occlude red's second drop. And if blue doesn't move to occlude a safe spot, then red has the burden of trying to find a way to force that evaporator out and expose it. Now, you can do this more easily on certain deployments. Like, for example, battle lines, I think, is one of the more notorious, let me borrow that word, deployments for this, where you can you can force evaporator position onto your opponent because the, the field narrow, the field kind of gets short, so to speak, and evaporators have that range to bubble, right? And so, so you have to be able to, to know that. that. That really is a skill, being able to read the board and saying, if I put this here, my opponent, I'm going to not only get a good spot for my evaporator i'll also deny my opponent a safe place to put his or hers but you see what i mean i agree and and i think to kind of draw this discussion more into turn zero as opposed to evaporators um i think it's very important that when you build your battle deck and when you're in the band phase you are conceptualizing like driving home an objective like i'm just gonna ban to sabotage may not be good because your opponent can then also pick a deployment that may not be actually preferential for it you know if if your opponent bans to like hemmed in and you've banned to sabotage like sabotage and much evaporators is not a good objective on hemmed in for the most part it's it's it turns into a bloodbath very quickly um and you lose a lot of the advantage you would have as blue player if you're playing hemmed in alongside sabotage and so when we talk about turn zero and kind of the process that goes through it it's it's more than just hey sabotage is good for blue player like that's we all know that it's really about hey diagnosing um the fact that sabotage might not actually be good in this situation because that, you know, my opponent is going to band to hemmed in or my opponent is going to, you know, band to roll out. And I don't actually have any places to put evaporators on, on the rollout deployment where I can hide behind things, you know, um, and a savvy opponent will kind of manipulate this. Um, and, and I think an actual, a really good, um, showcase of this was uh, the um, Garn versus Luke Cook match in the Invader League's semi semifinals, where um, Garn banned to Bombing Run. He was playing a CIS stat list. He was like, "Great, I'm playing Bombing Run. This is fantastic." And Luke said, "Okay, well, I'm gonna ban to Hemmed In, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna." And, and like you're going over towards the other deployment zone, I'm gonna march towards yours, and it ended up being very favorable for him. Um, in in 
a situation where it normally would have been favorable for the CIS player if it had been any other deployment. Um, yeah. So it, there's weird things like that that happen during turn zero that you have to recognize. Right, like Garn bans to Bombing Run, but then Luke bans to Hemden, and he has Secret Mission on Hemden, which is like an easy dunk for Secret Mission lists, generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, I remember because we were, you know, I, I didn't get to watch the full game, but, you know, somebody told me, they're like, Garn got um, Bombing Run hemmed in, and I was like, whoa, like, that's so good for his list. And then in the post-interview, um, they were talking, and, and they're like, how did you guys end up in your turn zero deployment? And Luke was like, well, I banned hemmed in because it was just really good for me because of the terrain. Um, and, like... It, it's interesting because normally um, bombing run hemmed in is fantastic. Both of those cards are fantastic for Garn, but the fact of the matter was the terrain on the board on that specific board made hemmed in incredible for Luke. So he was like, "I'm gonna take it." Yeah, there was actually like a like a decent sized line of sight blocking building on what ended up being like the left side of the blue hemmed in deployment zone, where like a little corner, like a one and a half inch corner of the deployment zone stuck out on the other side, on the far side of that line of sight blocking building that was like perfectly R2 sized. And not only that, on the way to that little notch was a ring of heavy cover plant dividers. Yeah. And so he stood his whole army inside this ring of heavy cover while R2 was heading to this notch. And so like Luke just completely aced the, the deployment phase. Yeah. And you know, the terrain is, on any given board is such a huge wild card with turn zero. You know, we're talking about banning cards right now, but choosing your side is actually the first thing you do before you even throw battle cards out. And it's super important. Um, we could make like a whole separate episode about assessing a table and deciding which side is better. Um, and at a, you know, at a real life tournament, you only have like five minutes or less to do that assessment. Um, and you have to be able to kind of eyeball a table and figure out which side you want. You know, obviously you need to know which deployment zones you have in your deck, right? Like, for example, when I run separatists, I tend to run like gunline style separatists heavy on B1s with Dooku. So I like deployments that make you fight long ways, um, you know, like long march and rollout, uh, because I don't want to have to deal with tauntauns and Staps and speeder bikes and other stuff running around my flanks, and I feel like it's easier to maintain the coordinate chain that way. But that's a huge factor in determining table side because if I'm blue player, I know that you know most of the deployments in my deck involve fighting basically from right to left on the side that I pick, not from back to front, essentially. So that's like a huge factor when looking at a table and the terrain is knowing which deployments you have. Yeah, and this is why I love this exercise that Josh came up with because the more and more we talk, the more and more you realize how many variables go into this. And we've had people ask us to do a straight-up turn zero episode. And now this is basically back-to-back episodes we're doing turn zero, right? But there is so many possibilities in this game. You're, we're not going to be able to hit all of them. So to be able to have a discussion to to pick apart everyone's brain and talk it out and think it through it is so good for the community to have that because you can listen to us talk about this all the time, right? We're like, this is what we do. This is the podcast. We're going to talk competitive, right? But it's hard to kind of apply that 
you can listen and you on your drive or wherever you listen to, right? And you can and you can see it in your mind. But to be able to see the pictures and to type it out and to discuss it with people is so key to actually learning the intricacies of turn zero, I think. Yeah, and and I think that turn zero is a is a skill you have to train. Um, it, it's like, you know, a quarterback learning how to read the how the defense is coming coming in on them in a football game, you know, and they have to make a kind of a split decision, uh, uh, a split second decision at the beginning of every play, whether to, you know, you know, go to their alternate play or, you know, do whatever. Um, similarly, turn zero, it's, it's not something that's hard and fast. There are hard and fast rules that, you know, we talk about a lot. Um, but, you know, it's probably the the hardest skill in Legion, frankly, is, is identifying, you know, the correct decisions during turn zero and the correct decisions for you. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are, there are two like super common new player mistakes that I made when I was a new player and that I, that I also see lots of new players make. And I would say these are probably the two most common. The first is just being too aggressive and not measuring threat ranges accordingly. Um, and the second is just kind of being sloppy or, or quick with turn zero. Um, you know, it's worth, I don't want to say you want to take like 10 minutes doing turn zero, but it's worth taking the time when you're considering, you know, your table side, when you're, when you're considering your bands, because it sets the tone for the whole game and it's going to decide like who starts the game in control basically. And you, ideally you want that player to be you depending on what type of list you have. So it's it's super important and um it definitely takes a lot of reps and practice to to get the hang of and i think you know i mean no matter how much experience you have you still make turn zero mistakes um i made an atrocious one in my game against luke uh what was that two weeks ago now um but you know like you, you can you can always you can always learn and it, it just takes it's just reps you just need practice as much as you can as much as you can manage yeah, and I think Josh gave good advice, and Kyle, you gave it last week, is trying to keep notes of these things. Um, turn zero mistakes are like the ones you know that haunt you the most. I think when you start thinking about things like Josh said in his interview, like you always might think it's dice or something, but a lot of the times you can go back to turn zero. Like if I did this differently, maybe the game's different. It's it's just so important to the game. You guys got any other turn zero thoughts or should we move on to uh, invader updates? Mike had a pretty good turn zero. <laughs> Mike did have a pretty good turn zero. And a pretty good turn one. <laughs> Actually, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I thought turn zero was pretty uh, samey for the most part. So why don't, why don't we actually talk about it instead of alluding to it? Yeah, okay, so... Uh, both semifinal games were played last week. Um, let's start first with just Luke Cook versus Garn. We already talked about it a little bit. Um, Luke Cook was playing the you know quote unquote Rex Star list, which is uh, the whole five phase twos, one phase one, R two Rex, three arcs, basically. Um, exactly eight hundred points. There's five. There's no less than five <laughs> copies of that exact list in Elims. Uh, Luke was the last. Was and is the last remaining one. Um, he defeated Garnanana, who was playing um, Separatists, the, uh, the Grievous, and Staps. Um, 
Garn made a great show of it, but ultimately uh, Secret Mission won the day. This is the short version of that game. Yeah, it was it was very close, frankly. It was, it was a lot close. closer than it looked like it was going to be in the opening turns. Yeah, so actually I want to talk about this game a little bit real quick um, because it was kind of like a, a nice little um, like exhibition by Garn on how to handle standby sharing and a, a standby clone ball. Um, because he, you know, we talk a lot about threat saturation and basically what he did and, and the, the primary way to, to crack a clone ball is you have to stall and hide with most of your activations until you can get inside range three with all or most of them. And then, um, you know, you, if you have a focus piece like Grievous, which he does, um, you put them in a position to slam in there as like the first activation in a turn and draw all the attention while the rest of your units, which should now be within range three of of the entire clone force can move in there and start shooting units while your opponent focuses on that high threat unit that's in their grill. And that's exactly what he did. Um, I think it was turn four. Yeah. Where he it basically, was, I, I think it was one turn too late. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what Yeah. I mean. Essentially he slammed Grievous into the, into the clone ball, did the trained in your Jedi arts thing. He actually didn't kill that much with it, but he, he threw down a lot of suppression. Um, he forced Rex to go early, which was important for that turn. Uh, and Grievous was reasonably healthy when he did that. So he forced basically the entire clone army to shoot at him. And then he was able to use that opening to move up with his stats and his B1s and start taking shots at clones. Um, and he was actually in a favorable spot as far as attrition is concerned and units killed um, at the end of that turn. But uh, critically, he did not kill R2 and R2 had a bomb. So... Um, R2 both delivered the bomb and then also scored secret mission and uh, behind that building we talked about earlier and Luke ended up winning 4-3. But, um, you know, it was it was a great example of like what to actually do to crack a clone ball because he essentially did that. He just couldn't, he couldn't kill R2. Yeah, no, I mean, if, if you've got the time, I highly recommend watching it because it, you know, I know standby sharing is kind of like the the monster in the room, if you will, um, at the moment. But there are ways to to play around it, um, and and deal with it. Uh, it they might not be great, but but there are effective tactics to do that um, that do work. They don't work all the time, yeah, but they do work. And he did a good job using terrain on the map too. There were these two big line of sight blocking statues, kind of like right in the middle of the map that he. You know, they kind of toilet bowled around um, and some nice long walls, too, in various places. So, um, you know, clones have a lot of aim tokens and a lot of firepower, but they can't use them if they can't see you. <laughs> um, yeah, Garn did a great job of hiding and maneuvering. Um, so, Mike, you played Kingsley. It, it was the it was the Arcstar versus Arcstar mirror. Do you want to, do you want to briefly I don't know if you've ever like fully talked about your list yet on the cast. Really? Uh it's possible I haven't. I don't know. Everything blurs together. I mean, um you wrote an article about it on the blog, but I did. Um so there's an article on the blog. I think it's called Victory or Death. Um and basically my list is the Rexstar list that Kyle just talked about that Luke was playing. Um except uh, instead of five phase twos, you've got three phase twos and two full arc squads. Um, and you've got a couple phase ones uh, 
to bring up the rear to feed them standbys. And there's a, there's a few things that are, um, I think it's unclear at this point, uh, which list is better. I certainly am in camp arc star, um, but we'll, we'll see how the finals go. Um, but basically the, the advantages I see in this list over the traditional rec star is that you don't have to choose between offensive push and overwatch. Um, you just have five overwatch units because arcs full arcs have tactical natively. So your offensive push squads for take that clankers already have offensive push. So you don't need to give it to them, which does a few things. Um, it makes it so that your units are less specialized and more, um, generally accepting of kind of abusing the standby token mechanic, uh, sharing mechanic, um, in that in a traditional rec star list, you've only got three units that can actually, um, stand by at range three. Whereas in the arc star list, you've got five. Um, and when people start picking apart your standby units, um, in a rec star list, sometimes things can get a little bit hairy and your, your shields can come down. It's, a lot harder to do that against an arc star list because you've got to kill basically the entire clone army in order to get rid of that range three band. That's a very long winded way of saying uh, that's what I'm playing. Um, <laughs> and Kingsley and I were basically playing the exact same, not the exact same list, but very similar lists in our semifinals game. Um, so yeah, it's, it's worth, it's worth mentioning too. These were the only two, out of 64 uh, arc star lists in the entirety of elims um the the rex star which is you know luke's version of the list that has phase twos and then arc strike teams instead of full arcs was far more popular among clone players um but both two out of two arc star lists made it to the top four <laughs> and one eliminated the other um yeah so yeah. that's interesting just from a data perspective but uh yeah do you want to talk real quick about your game with kingsley yeah, I mean, uh, it was, you know, a lot of people going into the game were, you know, David, you casted it, um, were thinking that it was kind of going to be like a standoff. Um, it ended up being pretty aggressive and pretty bloody. Um, and uh, at, least, at least I thought it was. Um, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I think a few things happened that really decided the game um, Kingsley like back cohered uh, his full arc squad so that he instead of like cohering his like phase ones like his naked squads towards the arcs he kind of cohered his arcs towards the units that were going to be sharing the tokens and what that ended up doing was allowing me to take pot shots at like a single dude in a full arc squad and so basically the first turn was me scoping like two got like a like a dude out of each of his full arc squads and i kind of went into this game with the premise being that the full arcs are the units that really matter in this matchup and if you can deteriorate um your opponents without losing your own um whoever was able to do that better was likely to come out on top um and so what ended up happening was i was basically able to kill a full arc squad. I think it at the top of turn two, I had two full arc squads and he had one. Um, and I, and I don't think his, his full arc was even full. I think it had four models in it. And 
at that point, I think the game just kind of snowballed. His dice also sort of betrayed him. His defense dice weren't great. Um, it was it was a lot less about the objective. We were playing intercept the transmissions, hemmed in. We both had R2. Um, I think due to my early success, I was likely to just kind of um, continue. You know, once, once a clone list starts beating you up, it's difficult to come back because it's hard to get into this through the standbys right like you just you just continue to get beat up a little bit um so it i think at the i think top of four he ended up conceding um and that was kind of how it went i guess the game kind of became about this field where there was a like a planter right that was only granting light cover and so there was a, a moment where there was like a full art trooper on the corner of this building that was, had vision across this field of light cover. And arcs, you know, they're some of the best units to funnel standbys to because they replicate sharpshooter, critical. They replicate all their good keywords every time they hit this, they get a standby fed to them. And if you only have light cover, it's no protection at all. So if you even want to contest middle, you're basically saying every time you move a unit to the middle, I will shoot you for free because I'm feeding a standby to this guy who's in the exact right spot to get to get the standby. And I mean, at that point, it, it was sort of like I'm down on units and I have very little that can influence a battlefield where I cannot access the standbys because I don't control enough angles, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because it was a weekend game during the afternoon and I've got a kid. So I really was like watching, but I was like more or less listening. But if I'm not mistaken, Mike, you played Take That Clankers round one and Kingsley did not, correct? Mm -hmm. That's true. I do think that that was a pretty... um, That decided what my turn one looked like pretty hard. So what I ended up doing now knowing that he did not play take that clankers on turn one was I actually threw a phase two unit out to basically scope one of his arc models. And I put it in a position where it wasn't in range three of any, any of his stuff, unless he could move, shoot it. And my thought process there was, well, all of his stuff is range three this turn. If he wants to move his stuff forward so that it is range three of my phase two unit, he's just going to put it in, you know, in range of my full arcs and they're just going to eat whatever takes that bait. Um, and I think I had a pretty big advantage there. And at the end of that turn, basically he was down a phase two squad and a full arc squad um, due to kind of how that played out. And I, I similarly, like I lost my bait squad. Like I put it out there, it died. I kind of accepted that it was going to die at the beginning of that turn when I made that move. But the other thing was that it was pretty safe because if he doesn't take the bait, he also doesn't kill the unit. Um, so uh, I, I do think that that hurt him there. Um, I think that he probably... The other thing was that be, because of how he deployed, he had a lot of units that were not line of sight blocked, and I was probably going to be able to shoot something with Take That Clankers. Um, yeah, whereas- and when- yeah, go ahead. What I was going to say, knowing that he can't extend his range also allowed you to get yourself into positions to take those shots and to take advantage of those models not behind line of sight because you were like, well, I can move this arc unit over here, rip this shot, and I know he can't hit me back because he didn't play take that clankers, which was 
I mean, it, it was big for your strategy, which was to attack his arcs and to, to then leverage your arcs in the battle, I think. Yeah, and I think it doubly, you know, made a very big difference because, you know, standby sharing is clearly range three in my list and his list, but he he has to engage me at range three that turn if he's going to engage, right? Whereas I I don't. And I, you know, his standbys didn't matter that turn and mine did. Um, and that ended up being a very big deal um, because he ended up having, he, he decided to walk out into a standby and I ate half of a full arc squad um, with, a, with a Z6 shot. And I think it was, it, it might've, I think it was just the unit leader in a Z6 into heavy cover. And I had like six aim tokens and I was like, all right, well, I roll seven hits because six aim tokens is really good. And uh, he, he just lost half his full arc before they got to shoot. I mean, it's not just six aims. It's also six aims on black with surge and sharpshooter. Yeah. I mean, like... With the, lethal. The, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the, the difference between, uh, like, a clone Z6 unit that surges to hit and, like, a rebel Z6 unit damage-wise is pretty big. Like they're different aim guns. Tokens they're literally different guns, and they're yeah, also the surge tokens from reliable are significant, very yeah. significant. Yeah. Um, and and that was another thing that ended up being very influential in that first turn was I didn't really need to spend surge tokens on defense, so I could kind of just unload all my tokens because he couldn't get to me, whereas he had to spend his tokens defensively. Um, Right, I was going to say by comparison, his clankers back through their way had suffered int- intensely from that initial barrage, because uh, you know when he was trying to clanker you back, what was left to do it with, like one arc, and then what? Yeah, I think he actually gave his orders to Rex and a full arc unit with four models in it, and Rex didn't even shoot that turn, um, and it, yeah, I mean, I think he he was hurting for sure. Um, I, it's he was taken. He was taken aback a little bit because of the counterintuitive way the match played out. Because you normally you try to shoot things, you try to shoot pierce shots at things that are not impervious, because there's a chance the kill goes to waste. But in that particular matchup, it, the script was flipped, where whoever's arcs degraded faster lost essentially. Yeah, the way I feel about that matchup is that the full arcs are just. Like they they kill the phase two so quickly, in comparison to to other things that like whoever's full arcs live the longest is gonna win. Right. Um, and and it's also worth noting that once you lose one or two models in a full arc t- squad, it gets a lot worse. Like I'm not saying it's bad by any means, but each die you die or two dice if you're at range two out of that pool that you lose is a really big deal. And you you do not want to be losing models out of that squad at all, if at all possible. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not nearly as like backloaded quote unquote as a normal squad with a heavy upgrade is because the heavy only has two dice. Now the heavy's bringing lethal and critical, right? But you know it's kind of like a death trooper unit where every every dude that you lose is a is a reliable dice that's in your pool. Um, so. Yeah, it, it's a big deal. The, their effectiveness goes down dramatically as you lose models. Um, it's definitely not a... That's one of the benefits of the Z6s in that like you don't lose most of your damage until you lose the heavy, right? Yep. 
Um, well, so when's the when's the final versus you and Luke? You versus Luke. It is sometime Friday. We have not nailed down a time yet. It is likely going to be midday, um, probably somewhere in the realm of like noon to three, I think, by the way we were talking. Um, so that, yeah, uh, around then, um, hopefully we'll have a timeout probably sometime tomorrow. Awesome. I'm super excited. Yeah, me too. This is the uh, first finals of Invader League I've been in, so I am I'm excited about it. Yeah, I think a first time champion on either side, right? Luke hasn't won, and Mike, you first, like you said, first final. So we're gonna have a new champion. Um, yeah, and I think Ty is gonna uh, take that game on turn six crits. Uh, David, I'm hoping you can join him. I know we've been mm-hmm. trying to figure this out today, uh, and I think Dark will join too. We'll have a three man booth, but um, you know, we'll hammer out those details as the week goes on and. Uh, get everyone, you know, everything they need to be able to watch the game. Awesome. It's uh hopefully if you're playing in the afternoon, hopefully it's while my kids are napping so I can actually watch it. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, schedule schedule on your own schedule, not on mine. But uh yeah, super excited. Um um that'll be sometime on Friday and uh good luck. Thanks, man. I, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be, it will be a fun game, I think, no matter what. So. Yeah, this finals match looks pretty wild. So, yeah, I think <laughs> it's supposed to be, uh, I think it's supposed to be like Solid, not Solist, wherever, wherever Vader's from. Uh, Mustafar is Mustafar, Mustafar. his cat? Yeah. Mustafar, yeah. Um, I also, just as a minor tangent, I think it's really sick and incredibly cool that vader decided to put his castle where he basically like murdered like 40 people <laughs> well and also where he almost got murdered by obi-wan that's also true i, I just, mean it, you know he was murdered by obi-wan he's not anakin anymore he's vader so that's, he yeah. he is literally going back to the place where he died and then was taken back by the force and palpatine to be vader so you know, it's definitely sick and twisted, Mike. I guess that's why you like it. I don't know. Just to be clear, he, wasn't he, murdered. he was alive. I know. Well, you know what I mean, though. Like his Anakin Skywalker was murdered, and Darth Vader was risen from those uh, from whatever was left. Uh, hard disagree. Also hard disagree. is written. He didn't die. So, <laughs> well, let's let's assume that that Zach is right. <laughs> And he did die at Mustafar and was reborn from the ashes. Um, he was Darth Vader before he died. Yeah, he was Darth Vader the moment he cut off Mace Windu's hands, basically. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. And if you want to get really technical, it was Darth Vader when he like screamed out, I hate you, and his eyes went all like sithy. Also fair. All right. he, was Vader. he was Vader for a long time, but... I'm just saying that it was when he physically became Vader. All right, you guys, you know, all right, you dunked on me. It's fine. He put in those yellow contacts with his one remaining arm. <laughs> um, anyways, the, the Invader League map looks super cool. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Thank you, Ellis, for putting it together. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so, yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, you guys, you guys got anything else to plug? Nope. All watch, right. watch Gen Con next week, <laughs> please. Yeah, there you go. Um, it'll be not this weekend, but next weekend. So we had uh, Josh Devara, Devara on. Thanks. Thank you to Josh for coming on. 
Um, we are the Notorious Scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. I'm David. I'm Zach. Stay fresh, cheese bags. Mm-hmm.